This is an ABC podcast. It's funny, regret's a, a strange thing. My biggest work regret is lots of things. <laughs> I was thinking about regrets and I was thinking what I wanted to do is anticipate regret. Not trusting in myself on who I was and listening to too many other people tell me who I was. Never get so busy making a living that you forget to make a life. The biggest regret in my career is that I didn't really spend much time actually driving my own career. My biggest regret around work uh, might sound a bit strange, but it was probably when I grew my business too big. <laughs> it really felt like I'd been on a magical mystery tour. My career really should have been focused on, on choose your own adventure. If you're someone who says you have no regrets, well, you might be thinking about regret all wrong. Or you're lying. Everybody has regrets. The only people without regrets are five-year-olds, people with brain damage, and sociopaths. The rest of us have regrets. They are part of our cognitive machinery. They're part of how our brains and minds work. And the reason for that is that regrets are useful. Uh, they teach us, they instruct us, they clarify the path forward. But the question is really what we do with them. And I do think that, there, I mean, I know that there is a way to take that negative feeling and convert it into a lesson for living. There's no question about that. Hello, I'm Lisa Leong, and I too have regrets. Although I didn't call them that until I spoke with New York Times bestselling author, Daniel Pink. I was always the person who thought that I didn't have regrets because even bad things that happened to me, I learnt from them. But now, having read your book, I am now drowning in the pool of all of my regrets because... <laughs> well, today on This Working Life, we're casting our minds back and looking at our choices and actions in our careers that we regret. And we're going to learn how to use these regrets to improve how we live and work. If we confront our regrets and use them as signals, they are a powerful force for working smarter and living better. Hi, my name is Daniel Pink. I'm the author of the new book, The Power of Regret. I'm a writer based in Washington, D.C., the father of three, the husband of one. <laughs> and Daniel, can you please share one of your regrets for us? You know, one of my big regrets when, when I was younger, Lisa, was not being especially kind. Uh, it didn't re it didn't really dawn on me until I was a bit a bit older. But there are many moments in my life um, when I was much younger where there'd be somebody who say was on the periphery of a situation, and I knew that they were being left out, and I didn't do anything, or I could have just been nicer to people, and and that's really bugged me. Um, and it's something that I'm trying to work on based on that regret. In 2020, Daniel and a small team did the largest quantitative analysis of American attitudes about regret ever conducted called the American Regret Project. I asked people a number of questions, but one of the questions was this. How often do you look back on your life uh, and wish you had done something differently? Okay, so I asked, it says a question about regret, but I didn't want to use the R word. And <laughs> what I found is that over 80% of people, I think it was 83% of people in America said they do that at least occasionally. Only 1% of people said they do it never. So 83% of Americans say that they feel regret, they experience regret at least occasionally, which, you know, making Americans more likely to 
experience regret than they are to floss their teeth. So it's a very common emotion. And, and, and in fact, it's arguably based on some other research, the most common negative emotion that human beings have. The reason it's so common is that it's instructive. It helps us learn. What trends did you notice when it came to people regretting choices or experiences to do with their career, Dan? Yeah, yeah. Um, People had the same four core regrets over and over and over again. But in the world of work, one of the biggest regrets was boldness. And a boldness regret is this. You're at a juncture in your life. You can play it safe. You can take the chance. And people play it safe and then they regret it. They much more rarely regret taking the chance. And in careers, you hear people talking about how uh, I focused on not failing rather than succeeding. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wish I were more entrepreneurial. If only I hadn't stayed in this lackluster job and started a business the way that I wanted to. Huge numbers of regrets like that. Very interesting, at least to me, Lisa, is a lot of regrets in the workplace, boldness regrets about speaking up. For many people, being in the workplace, they don't feel 100% comfortable. They don't feel that sense of psychological safety. And when you think about that from an organizational perspective, I've got all these people around the world who say, oh, I, you know, I, I didn't feel comfortable speaking up. I wish I had spoken up. And to me, that suggests that organizations need to learn from these regrets. That is, you know, all of these regrets are giving organizations signals about how to make work uh, worthwhile. I give it one that really touched me. It's from a 39 year old woman in Saudi Arabia. She says that her regret was pretending to be less smart and inventive than I actually am, simply to please or not upset others. This also includes business meetings with clients and then later hearing she's useless in client meetings. So here, you know, here is somebody who just who, who like, like many people just didn't speak up and then they end up regretting it. So I think what we want is organizations where people feel comfortable to speak up, where they're not going to look back two years, three years, five years later and say, oh, if only I'd said something. I am Janelle Delaney and I work for IBM as a partner in IBM Consulting. The biggest regret in my career is that I didn't really spend much time actually driving my own career. I didn't really seek out opportunities or really identify any real specific goals. You could really say I really wasn't very deliberate about it and really just let things happen to me rather than going after specific roles and really getting out there and promoting my capabilities. And when I sort of realised this, you know, after 20, 20, 25 years, it really felt like I'd been on a magical mystery tour. My career really should have been focused on, on choose your own adventure. I'm Dr. Tim Sharp, and I'm the Chief Happiness Officer at the Happiness Institute. My biggest regret around work uh, might sound a bit strange, but it was probably when I grew my business too big. (laughs) Because what happened, even though by all accounts and for many people that would have been deemed successful, uh, it actually took me away uh, from what I love doing. So it took me towards spending a lot more time running the business and dealing with uh, accountants and lawyers and all sorts of people and not actually helping people or doing the work that I love to do initially. My name's Juliet Burke. I'm an adjunct professor in the School of Governance and Management at UNSW. I was thinking about regrets and I was thinking what I've wanted to do is anticipate regret or the potential for regret and make a different choice because they've been big decisions for me. I think about making the decision to work part-time rather than full-time so I could 
take care of my kids for about a period of nine years when they were young. I think about starting up a business and leaving a very secure job as a government lawyer to leap into the unknown. And I think about taking a sabbatical a couple of years ago now when I was at the peak of my executive career, not knowing what would happen when I got back. And so they could have been moments of regret, but I think I put more time and energy into those big moments, anticipating regret and making a choice that I would feel comfortable with long-term. Dan, you explain the deep structure of regret, the four core regrets. Can you take us through these, please? Sure. Um, so these are these are these the, the regrets that kept coming up over and over again, and these this, this, these regrets from around the world. So so one category are what I call foundation regrets. Foundation regrets are if only I'd done the work. These are regrets that people have about smoking. These are regrets that people have about not exercising or not saving money. So small decisions early in life that lead to bad big consequences later in life. Second category, which we talked a little bit about. Uh, which come up a lot in our in careers and in in working life, which are boldness regrets. And boldness regrets are if only I'd taken the chance. Now, boldness regrets are not only in our careers, Lisa. Boldness regrets are everywhere. There's an Australian woman who I wrote about who regretted not taking a post-secondary school trip around the world with her friend. She's in her 40s, and she still regrets not being too timid to do that. There are huge numbers of regrets out there. <laughs> Um, that, that go that go like this. I mean, they have almost an eerily similar formulation. They they go like this. X years ago, there was a man slash woman whom I really liked. I wanted to ask him her out on a date, but I was too chicken to do it, and I've regretted it ever since. Hundreds of those. So boldness regrets are if only I'd taken the chance. Moral regrets are if only I'd done the right thing. So you're at a juncture, you can do the right thing or the wrong thing, and you do the wrong thing. And many of us, not all of us, but lots of us regret it. And finally, our connection regrets, which are if only I'd reached out. And these are these are really important. This is the biggest category. These are relationships of any kind. It could be not only romantic relationships. In fact, most of them were not romantic relationships, but relationships of parents and kids, of siblings of other relatives, huge numbers of regrets in this domain about friends. Um, in, in terms of work, huge numbers of regrets about colleagues, and yeah. work, work colleagues. And, and it's basically this, that you have a relationship or should have had a relationship and it comes apart. And most of these relationships come apart in profoundly undramatic ways. They just drift apart. You know, no, no one's like screaming at each other or throwing plates or anything like that. They just kind of drift apart. And what happens is people want to reach out, but it feels really awkward and they think the other side's not going to care. And so they don't reach out and they're wrong. And um, and so connection regrets are if only I, I'd reached out. And I think these four regrets, these four core regrets that we hear all over the world are quite revealing about I think about the human condition itself, but I also think about the conditions in which we can flourish at work. And in terms of connection, have you got a specific example of a regret in a career or in a work environment that gives us an example of connection, Dan? Oh, absolutely. Here's, here's one that came in. It's, it's from a 62-year-old man from the U.S. state of Pennsylvania, and let me read it to you. 
I wish I had tried harder to foster deeper relationships with my work colleagues. I've worked at the same place for over 30 years, but I'm not sure I would really call any of the people I've worked with a close friend. Mm. Think about that. 30 years in the same place and he doesn't feel any sense of connection with the people he he's working he's worked with and you know he he regrets that. And th- th- he's not the only one like that. So you have people who regret not being feeling that sense of belonging with others at their current job. You have people a lot of people who fall out of contact with previous colleagues and and regret that. Now the good thing here on connection regrets there I think there are a few really there's a is a relatively easy remedy here, which is that always reach out. I mean, for me, <laughs> that more than anything else in this book that I wrote, that was a big lesson for me. Always reach out. If you're at a juncture in any part of your life, it, it could be work, it could be outside of work, and you're deciding, should I reach out or should I not reach out? If you're at that juncture, you've answered the question for yourself. Always reach out. And what happens is that as I said, people feel awkward about reaching out and they think the other side won't care. And what happens when they do reach out is that it's not awkward and the other side invariably cares. Um, and so I had this one woman who I talked to, uh, she's a 50 something woman in the Midwestern part of the United States who lost touch with a university friend. And she was skittish about reaching out to her. And I said, well, what if this other woman reached out to you? How would you feel? And she would be, she said, oh my God, I would be so touched. It would be the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, and so we don't, you know, extrapolate enough from our own experience in this regard. And this is something experienced globally. You had several hundred responses from Australia in the World Regret Survey. How did we fare? Australians seem to have, again, it's a relatively small sample, and this is a qualitative survey, so I'm leery about making too big of a claim here, but it seemed like Australians had a number of what I call connection regrets, which are regrets about losing touch with people and not reaching out, and which is interesting because I, I consider, from an American perspective, Australians quite gregarious. But the, the Australian regrets were not wildly different from the regrets in the UK or the regrets in Japan or the regrets in the United States of America. G'day, my name's Ginger Gorman. I'm an author, social justice journalist. So my biggest work regret, if I think about it now as a 45-year-old, is just working so, so hard in the media, especially as a much younger journalist. I really worked all hours God gave, sometimes up to 70 hours a week when I was younger. So if I look at that now and I think how bloody hard I worked and all the passion and enthusiasm I put in and how little I got back, I think, you know, I regret that so much. And I just think what I should have been doing is spending so much more time doing the things that I love. There's a Dolly Parton quote I keep thinking of, and she says, never get so busy making a living that you forget to make a life. My name's Mark Brandy, and I'm an author. My biggest career regret is the manuscript that I worked on for about a year that absolutely went nowhere. 
And I just could not make this story work. I redrafted it, I think, and, and not just redrafted it, I completely rewrote it seven times over the course of, of 12 months. You know, it, it's it's funny, re regret's a, a strange thing. Like I was, I was reflecting on it and I thought, you know, did I need to go through that process to learn that that isn't the thing for me? And I think I kind of did. I needed to work really hard on it because otherwise I always would have had another kind of regret. I think I would have looked back on it and thought, maybe I didn't work hard enough. Maybe that was the problem. I'm Amanda Rose and I'm founding director of Western Sydney Women. My biggest work regret is lots of things. <laughs> But it's not trusting in myself on who I was and listening to too many other people tell me who I was. I realised that when I had a boss tell me that I was not strategic, I was not a big thinker, that I was a detailed person, when anyone who really knew me knew that was complete opposite and it was a strategy for her to keep blocking me from advancing. And after a while, I started to believe her when I realised that wasn't who I truly am and wasn't my skill set. And I thought, things have got to change. I've got to stop listening to other people and what they're telling me on who I am and start going for things and going with my instincts more. And so you started to talk about the remedies of what to do with regret. Let's talk about the power of regret. What can we do with all of this emotion here? The first step is to reframe the regret and it's sort of how we feel about ourselves. It's easy for us to berate or belittle our, our, ourselves for, for our regrets, for our mistakes, for our screw ups. And instead, what we should do is treat ourselves with what's called self-compassion, uh, which is a brilliant idea formed by Kristen Neff, a psychologist at the University of Texas. And with self-compassion, you basically treat yourself with kindness rather than contempt. You think about your mistakes as something that's part of the human condition rather than something that is unique to you. So that's, one, that's step one. Step two, disclosure. You need to talk about your regrets. Talking about your regrets reduces the burden. That's why we had so many people disgorging their regrets. But the other thing that it does is, and you mentioned this idea that it's, a, that it's very emotional. Our, our emotions tend to be very abstract. So we have these feelings and they can seize us. And a way to defang them is to talk about them or write about them. Because the very use of language converts these blobby abstractions into concrete, less fearsome words. And that begins the sense-making process. And so that's really, really important. And the other thing is sometimes we fear that people will think less of us if we disclose our failures and screw-ups. But the, the research shows pretty clearly that people actually like us more because they admire our courage and they empathize with us. So disclosure is the second step. And then you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do what Lisa does, which is draw a lesson from it. You gotta extract a lesson from it. And a way to do that is to take a step back. And there's some really, really interesting ways to do that. You can, you know, if I were to say to myself, okay, what's your let? What's the lesson I should learn from the regret? I'm actually better off, no joke, saying, what's the lesson that Dan can learn from this regret? Talking to yourself in the third person. What's the Hi. lesson that you can learn from this regret? Uh, that form of distance allows us to be better problem solvers and better lesson extractors. You can even do things like 
One of the best decision-making tools around is, okay, if your best friend came to you with this regret, what would you tell him or her to do? Again, get a distance from it. You can do things like move forward in time. So you say, okay, you're looking back on this moment five years from now. What do you want to have done with this regret? So this idea of basically reframing it so we're not punishing ourselves, disclosing it so we can unburden ourselves and make sense of it, and then extracting a lesson from it is is really, really healthy. And if we do that routinely, uh, we're going to actually be able to use these regrets as a force for good. And then to close the circle on that in a way, often I notice my feelings and then I then trace it back to a particular thought, which I then realise is a story. Uh, And then I can sort of draw the line there and say, well, actually, is that story true or not? Or have I just made it up in my own head? And then I can kind of look at the feeling as instructive. So it is true. Or actually, I can let it go because I just completely made up something in my head. (laughs) And, And it's making me feel stressed. Yeah, yeah, that that's very interesting, and 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 it, I think it's a very astute point in general because because regret is a form. Regret hinges on storytelling. You know, when when I feel regret, um, if I say, "Ugh, if only I hadn't taken that stupid job when I first got out of college," okay, mm-hmm. what I'm doing is I'm going back in time, and then I'm actually telling a new story. I'm negating what really happened, and then I'm going forward in time again and telling a new story. So regret hinges on storytelling, but even more than that, and I think this is one of the, I think really important insights about regret is um, our lives are about storytelling. Uh, There's a professor, a personality psychologist at Northwestern University in the United States named Dan McAdams, who says that, you know, that we see our lives as narratives, that we, we actually forge our identity as narratives. Are we the author of the story? Or are we the character in that story? And the answer is yes. We're both at different moments in different times. And sorting that out, figuring out, okay, where do I have control and agency and where do I not, is actually, I think, one of the central sorting out processes of a healthy, sane life. So, Dan, you know, we're sitting here at the start of our working year and we want to harness the power of regrets. What are some key takeaways for us right now? Sure. So I think one of the most important things is to think about that having regrets is normal. If you have regrets, that's a good sign. It means your brain is functioning. Um, And two is to is to think about those regrets. What lesson is it telling you? What signal is it giving you? A uh, third one would be to feel free to talk about your regrets. You'll be surprised. I was surprised. One of the reasons I got into this was that I started talking to people about my own regrets and I found them leaning in. So talk about your regrets with people. Uh, disclose them. Uh, that'll help you make sense of them and it'll help you give advice to other people. And then, you know, and then also think about very importantly, these four core regrets, because they really are, you know, this the foundation regrets, which are about stability and boldness regrets, which is about leading a psychologically rich life and more regrets, is, which is about being good and connection regrets, which are ultimately about love. Those four regrets are, as I say in the book, a photographic negative of the good life. That is, we understand what people regret the most. We understand what they value the most. And so when you're making decisions in your life and you're saying, oh, am I going to regret this or not? It's pretty clear to me that what you will regret is not building a foundation, 
not taking a smart risk and leading a psychologically rich life, not doing the right thing, and not connecting to other people. The other stuff doesn't matter. In five years, you're not going to regret buying a blue car or a gray car. You're not going to regret having, you know, turkey tetrazzini for dinner tonight versus a hamburger. But what you are going to regret are these four things. So keep your eye on that prize. Thanks, Dan. I don't regret speaking to you today. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, if you did, I would help you try to extract a lesson about choosing better guests. Thank you, Dan. Thank you guys for having me. It was a lot of fun. Regrets can absolutely be a useful thing. I think if you do not have regrets and you fear having them, it can derail you personally because that fear of failure, that fear of having to admit that you've got regrets and failures can actually hold you back. You can't change the past, but as long as you use that, whatever it is that you're feeling wasn't the right thing to do, you can then can move forward and, and end up actually in, in an even much better place by using that regret as a driver to make change in, in whatever way you need to. Thanks to my guest, Daniel Pink, whose book, The Power of Regret, is out now. And a huge thanks to those of you who shared your stories with us. I'm Lisa Leong, and you've been listening to This Working Life, produced by Zoe Ferguson and Maria Tickle. And until next time, keep working. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.